public among, especially among denominations. And, you know, the Jehovah Witnesses, they don't even believe that hell exists. And if you look at some of the surveys that have been done that are out there, you can see how people, even those that are preachers, are turning against preaching the subject of hell. In fact, there was nearly 46% of one survey that I looked at that felt that preaching about hell to unbelievers is in poor taste. Well, I wonder what they would say if they listened to what Jesus had to say or some of the others that were teaching about what they needed to do in order to be saved. And I think that it's an important topic, but many times uh, you can look out in, in the religious world, even in the church, people sometimes want to hear more popular subjects, things that make them feel good, so that when they leave they can go home feeling good that everything's okay. And sometimes we need to be reminded of our own lives that sometimes things aren't okay. Sometimes we need to examine ourselves and realize that there's changes that we need to make. And I believe that the subject of hell is there for that very reason, to help us to understand that if we continue on in sin, that we're going to be lost, that there are consequences for our actions. And we're going to be held accountable on a day of judgment for the life that we've lived here in this life. And so we need to realize that when we reject the ideal of hell, that we are feeding into the delusion of what people think that that hell doesn't matter. And there are some that believe that exists, but then they want to take the fire and the and the uh, damnation and the separation. They want to remove all of those negative things and just say that it'll be a time without God. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine a time without God. As I said a few weeks ago, and I've said in the past, that there's not a person on this planet that has existed for one day without God. But in hell, that will be the first time that anyone will have ever experienced any point of life without God. And I hesitate to say any point of life because that is spiritual death. You're lost forever, separated from God. And so the individual that even hates God, despises God, denies God, has benefited from God while he's here on this earth. And that's something that people need to realize. And so being separated from God is not a pleasant thought. And so, you know, sometimes people want to know, why do you preach on certain topics? Well, this morning I want to talk about why I preach on some of these things. Because... When I fail to do that, and any preacher that fails to do that is doing a disservice to the people that are listening and to himself. The Bible tells us in Second Corinthians or Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through five, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. That means that the preacher is supposed to be preaching and teaching the word of God. The preacher doesn't get to pick and choose and say, this one's important and I'm going to leave this one off. Paul said he declared the whole counsel of God. All the counsel of God is what he said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. And so he realized the importance of teaching about every doctrine. All the things that the Bible says, they're important. And God put them there for a reason. 
so that you and I could know what we need to do and how to live our lives so we could have the right relationship with Him and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if I fail to teach about hell or judgment or eternal damnation, I'm leaving out something people need to hear and that they need to understand that this place is real that we're talking about this morning. And let me ask this, who benefits when a preacher fails to teach about hell? Who benefits from that? I'll tell you who benefits from it. The devil benefits from it. Satan himself benefits when we fail to warn people and tell people about the fires of hell. It's hard to get people to go there if they know what it's like. And Satan realizes that, and so he doesn't want us to talk about that subject. And he don't want you to want to hear about that subject. And so you see, people sometimes just want to remain the same. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to look at their life. They don't want to see the necessary changes that they need to make. And they just want to walk around. I'm okay. You're okay. We'll all get there. We'll all get to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And if I don't preach on hell, then I'm not following the examples that are found in the Bible. And let me ask this question. If preaching about hell is part, or is preaching about hell a part of preaching the good news? You know, when we talk about the good news, we usually talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He came to this earth, that He died for our sins, and that He was buried, and He arose victorious over the grave on the third day. That is the good news. But let me ask this. Is hell also a part of that good news? Is that something that we benefit from by knowing about the situation? About knowing about the consequences? I believe the good news involves all of those things. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I teach about salvation without warning about warning a person about their current condition? Can I preach about salvation and not say that, guess what? We're trying to save you and we don't want you to end up in hell. Suppose you have a pain in your side. Suppose there's, there's something wrong and you, you realize that it's very, it, it hurts and you go to the doctor. And the doctor says, you need to have your appendix taken out because if your appendix ruptures, then you could die. Is he being cruel when he tells you that news? Is he being mean-spirited by saying, if you don't get this fixed, you are going to die. I think most of us would realize that that doctor is doing his job and telling us what we need to hear. It may not be what we want to hear, but it's what we need to hear. And if we heed that advice, then guess what? We'll make the changes necessary to have that appendix removed so that we don't die. Well, the same is true when it comes to our spiritual situation. When we realize that there's something that we need to do so that we can avoid, avoid this place called hell, then when we see that, maybe it will motivate us to make changes in our lives so that we can escape that. You see, hell is a reality. Most people don't want to, or a lot of people don't want to think of hell as a reality. I've heard people, even some in the church, that want to talk about the, the description of hell and they want to say that's all figurative. Well, I don't believe that it is figurative. I think that it's a reality. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 3 says, 
For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when he when they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly sudden destruction cometh upon them, as to travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. There's not going to be an escape for hell. If you are unprepared when that Lord comes as a thief in the night, then guess what? You're going to be lost. And there's no way to get around it. There's no way to avoid it. That's the consequences of a life that you've lived without Christ. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and verse 7-9, through 9, it says, "...and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ." who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Brethren, if we know what's going to happen, and we see a verse like that, the people that know not the Gospel, they're going to, be, uh, they're going to end up in this awful place. Shouldn't that motivate us as Christians to want to warn people and tell people about this place? As opposed to avoiding the subject? Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt their feelings by telling them about it. What are you hurting? You're hurting their soul by not telling them about it. And sometimes we only get concerned about a person's salvation when we see that they're getting to the end of life. We need to be concerned earlier. We need to be concerned now. Don't wait till it's too late. Because we realize if they don't hear the gospel and obey that gospel, they're going to be lost. And that's what the Bible says. That's not me standing up here making this up. It's not someone else saying this. It's the Bible telling us. This is the Word of God inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit. It was given to us. And it's the truth. It's a reality. And so we want to avoid it. What did Jesus say about the subject of hell? Well, before we get into some of the things that He said, I want us to realize that Jesus was was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And when He taught, there was something different about the way that He taught. When they went to arrest Him in John chapter 7 and verse 46, they came back and, they, and the officer's answer was, when they, when they asked, where is He? Why didn't you bring Him? What did they say? Never man spake like this man. Something about Jesus was different. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 40, or, uh, verse 28 and 29, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, that's the Sermon on the Mount, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. What does that mean to you? That means to me that Jesus knew exactly what He was talking about and He tried to impress it upon people's minds so strongly that they could not reject what He was saying. They knew He was telling the truth. They knew what He, was, what he taught was something that people needed to listen to and be obedient to. And so what did Jesus say about hell? Well, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22, "...but I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall be or say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire." When he talks about hell, he's talking about fire. And that's kind of hard for us to comprehend an eternal fire. And then in other verses, where, as we'll see, there's darkness. That's something for our minds. It's hard for us to comprehend. 
But He tells us there that there's things that we can do that puts us in danger of that place. In Matthew chapter 23, and verse 33, Ye serpents and generations of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? So what's He telling us there? That it's damnation. It's something that is real. It is something that will take place. And talk about He's not politically correct. He, he, didn't, he didn't say nice things. He told them what they were. Ye serpents, generation of vipers. You need to change. And if you don't change, there's going to be consequences for that. He tells us that it's not just for the devil. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, he says, Then shall he say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was a place that was prepared for the devil and his followers. But it's also a place where those who reject Christ will be for eternity. Jesus also gives us a description of hell. When he tells us that it's a place of destruction in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. He tells us it's a place to lose your soul. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, for what, shall a, what, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What's he telling us there? That all the riches in this world are not worth the value of your soul. And if you exchange your soul for those things, guess what? You're going to be lost. Do people need to hear that? Do we need to be warning people about that? I think we do. And we need to heed it ourselves because how many times do we exchange our soul for something in this world that is worthless, really? He tells us in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 30, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound like a place anybody would want to go, does it? Advertise that as a vacation place and see how many people want to end up there. Nobody wants to go. And that's why people want to change the description. They want to change it and make it something else. Something that's not painful and something that's not eternal. You're just going to be annihilated and it's going to be over. Well, that's not what Jesus tells us. It's a place of eternal punishment. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Mark chapter 3 and verse 39. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 through 44. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not. And the fire is not quenched. The fire is not going out. In fact, Jesus says here, you know, if you've got a problem with your hand, it would be better to cut that hand off and, and, than to be lost. 
And I think all of us realize the value of our hands. Most of us wouldn't want to go through life where our hands didn't work. But Jesus says it would be better to cut your hand off than to be lost. He's showing us how valuable heaven is and that relationship with God where we can have the forgiveness of sin, where we can have that salvation. You see, Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else that was recorded in the Bible. And it's a place that we ought to fear. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And then as we've already seen, if we don't obey the Gospel, we'll be lost. Mark 16, 16 tells us that. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. You see, if Jesus and others in the Bible has so much to say about hell, can any preacher honestly claim that they love you and care about your soul if they don't preach on the subject of hell? So that you know the consequences? I had a preacher tell me one time, I'm not going to preach on hell anymore because I'm tired of seeing our, our brethren raped and robbed of, of the joy that they should have. I don't believe you're doing anybody any service if you don't tell them of the consequences of sin. And we need to be reminded from time to time because it's easy to go back into the world. So why does God warn us about hell? Well, in James chapter 5 and verse 20, the Scripture says, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. God warns us about hell because He loves us. God wants us to change. God wants us to follow Him. God wants us to be that light in the world. And He tells us of the consequences of failing to do all of those things. That's what preaching is all about, really. Saving souls. We talk about the good news. I mentioned that earlier. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You see, you're trying to save your soul. You want to get there. But if you're not getting there, you're not doing what you need to do, you're not living the way you should, how can you lead someone else there? The goal is to get both yourself and whoever you're teaching to heaven. Does a false teacher really love you? Even when that false teaching may sound appealing, it may sound good. It may make you feel wonderful. It may get you through the whole week, but if it's not getting you out of sin and it's, it, keep, it continues to leave you there, then can they really love you? Do they really care about your soul? How is that love? 
In Jude 21 and 20, verses 23, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of your Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Of others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. You see, some people you may be able to get to without having to, to talk about the harsh realities of hell. They may be receptive to hearing the Gospel, but there's other times that people need to be motivated by fear. And you say, well, is that really a good thing? Well, the Lord says it is. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 11, "...knowing therefore the terror of the Lord..." We persuade men. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, is fear a motivation? Is it a legitimate reason to follow God? The Bible says it is. I don't want to go to hell. When you read what it says about hell, I don't want to go there. And to know that I'm going to stand before God and answer for my life, that could be a fearful thought if I'm unprepared. If I'm ready, if I've done what the Lord's told me to do to be a faithful servant of His, then I can look forward to that day. Just like the Apostle Paul. He looked forward to the day. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He knew what was laid up in store for him. Why? Because he'd been faithful. You see, fear is a motivator. I was thinking about that. You ever seen some of those commercials? About cigarettes, you know, I grew up during a time where cigarettes were, you know, made to make you look like some kind of superhero or something. Had the Marlboro man, he looked all cool out there in the out there in the woods or wherever he was at, looking all cool. And some of you remember that. Well when you see a cigarette commercial today, what is it? It's usually somebody that has a real raspy voice. Many times a disfigured face. Many times breathing problems. And all of that is there for one reason. To discourage you from taking up the habit of smoking. Don't ever start. And I agree totally with that. Don't ever start that nasty habit. And as I tell people, when you don't, if you never start, you don't have to worry about being addicted to that or anything else that you know you shouldn't do. But what's the purpose of that commercial? It's to put fear in your heart, put fear in your mind that if you do these things, this can be the result. But then you'll have somebody that's out there saying, well, yeah, I know somebody, they smoked for a hundred years and nothing ever happened to them. Well, you know what? You can say, I know someone who's been unfaithful to God for a hundred years. Guess what? They're still going to be lost. Fear is a great motivator. might even remember when you was a kid, oh, I don't do that because if my mom and dad finds out, they'll kill me. Then you hear people say, but I believe in a God of love and not vengeance. 
ask them, when you hear that, the next time you hear someone say that, ask them, how did you learn about God's love? How do you know God loves you? Well, I would suspect the answer is going to be because the Bible says He does. The Bible reveals how deeply God loves us. But that same book that teaches us about His love also warns us about His anger, His wrath. And so the next time someone says that, ask them where they learned about that and then show them why they need to read the rest of the story. Because it's a serious thing to fall into the hands of God unprepared. And if I don't preach on hell, it diminishes the power of the Gospel. Think about that for a moment. The Bible tells us to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15, and 16. In Romans chapter 1, and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In Matthew chapter 10, and verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Think about that for a moment. When I'm preaching the Gospel, when you're teaching the Gospel, when you're sharing the Gospel with someone, what are you? What, what is this salvation from? It's from an eternity in hell. It's from our sin. That sin that separated us from God. And we need salvation so that we're not lost. That that relationship with God can be restored. And when I'm sharing the Gospel with someone, I'm wanting them to see what they need to do so that they don't end up in that awful, terrible place. You know, I've said it and I've heard others say it that in our world today, that there's no fear of God. That people don't have a fear of God like they used to. And how true is that? I believe that that's very true. And why is it that they don't have a fear of God? Well, if preachers don't believe in hell, why should anybody listen to them? If there's no hell, if we can take the fire out of hell, then why listen? Because you're being saved from this place that's really not all that bad after all. The salvation is to save you from your sin, from the devil, and from an eternity in hell. So I contend that that good news also... includes the reality of hell. That it's a real place. That you're being saved so you don't have to go there. And if there's no hell, why, there's really nothing to worry about. Think about it. Why is our morality slipping? 
Well, David tells us in Psalm 36 and verse 1, the transgression of the wicked saith within his heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Young people, they don't have a fear of God. Why? Because they don't hear about the fear of God. They don't hear about hell. They don't hear about the consequences of the choices that they make. And sometimes as adults, when we grow up, we, we forget about that. We want to get that out of our mind. Why? Because it may keep us awake at night if we're not living right. Because you know what? He may come as a thief in the night tonight, and then what would happen while I'm laying in bed asleep and I haven't done anything to straighten out my life? And we get uncomfortable. We're miserable. When all we have to do is surrender our life to Christ. To be buried with our Lord in baptism, to have our sins washed away. You see, most Americans believe that Satan is merely a symbol for evil. I read another survey where 89% of Americans believe in hell or heaven. Only 31% believe in a place of eternal torment where people will be sent. And that was an old survey. Less than 25% believe they or their friends will go to hell. But listen to the odds that Jesus gives. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 14 through 6, or 13 through 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Majority is going to be lost, the few will be saved. Why? Because only a few will be willing to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Christ. We want to get to heaven, but we want to get there on our own terms. We want to do what we want to do. You can show people in the Bible that what they're doing is contrary to the will of God, and guess what? They'll say, oh, well, you know, He understands me. He understands my situation. Really? Really? He's told us what we need to do. And He's warned us of the consequences. And again, recall what Paul said. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If I don't preach on hell, then I'll end up there. If a preacher neglects to warn then the sinner's blood is on his hands. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, it says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the words at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest not him not warning, nor speaketh to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul again, 
When a righteous man doth turn from his righteous and righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sins, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned also, Thou hast delivered thy soul. That's a warning for all of us. Now we need to be telling people about this place called hell. That it is real. And that if they don't change and they're caught up in sin, then guess what? They're lost. And you're not telling them that because you, you, you're, you're angry or you just want to make them miserable. You're telling them that because you love them. And some people, when you tell them, they'll change. Some people won't. But those that don't, if you've warned them, you can have a good conscience because you've done what your duty to do. David understood that. Paul understood that. That's why he declared the whole counsel of God. James warns about the responsibilities that we have in James chapter 3 and verse 1. My brother, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. If we're going to speak and teach, we need to teach the truth. Not just what we like. Not what we think they may like. But what God's Word tells us that we need to teach. And my last point is this. If I don't preach on hell, you may go there. C.S. Lewis said, The safest road to hell is a gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, and without sodden turning or sudden turning, without milestones, without signposts. Steve said it a couple of weeks ago when he did the invitation, talked about you don't have to do anything to get to hell. Well, that's very true. You can neglect your life, your responsibilities that God has given you. You don't have to do anything. And you can be lost. It's just that simple. You see, a sermon on hell is like a signpost. You know, if you've ever been out you know, hiking or driving around and you're kind of on a trail, I relate it more so to, to hiking on a trail. Sometimes you come to a trail where it splits off and there's a signpost there. And that signpost is telling you which direction you need to go. And sometimes you may not be sure. And so you start to examine and looking, maybe checking out the map to make sure I'm going the right way. Do I want to go this way? You might get your compass out to figure out where you want to go. The Sermon on Hell is kind of like that signpost. It gives you an opportunity to look at your own life and examine your own situation and ask yourself, am I on the right path? Am I headed toward heaven? Or am I headed toward hell? I'm reminded of the preacher who once was told that President Andrew Jackson was in the assembly that day and that preacher was known for his bluntness and... When they found out that the president was there, they told the preacher, you might want to guard your words today. And so the preacher took the pulpit and he said, I understand that Andrew Jackson is here. 
I've been requested to guard my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent. The congregation was in shock. How would the president respond? After the services, the president came out and shook the preacher's hand. He said, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. You see, sometimes we're afraid to say what needs to be said. We don't want to offend someone. We're afraid we'll hurt their feelings. We're afraid they'll turn away. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in a sermon, you notice Jesus says that's okay. If you don't want to follow Me, that's okay. I'm not going to chase you. I'm not going to hound you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And if you don't want to accept it, that's okay. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked Him what He needed to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus told him. He said, These have I kept from my youth up. And then He said, Well, go one thing thou lackest, go and sell what thou hast and give it to the poor. And the Bible says the rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Did Jesus go after him? Did Jesus chase him? No. He's not going to force us today either. But He tells us what we need to know. The consequences for our actions are, are it will be hell if we're lost. And so the question is, what are you doing? What's your life? You see, some people, their standing's not right with God and the only thing that's keeping them out of hell is God's patience. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, that day of the Lord will come someday. It could be today, next week, next year, ten years from now, ten thousand years from now. But the day of the Lord will come. We need to be ready for it. And if we're not, then we know where we'll be. We'll be lost in hell for eternity. And so God is not holding off because of some obligation to the wicked. He's allowing us time so that some can change. But if you will not change, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29 through 31 says, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was crucified or sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The question is, are you ready today? If the Lord came right now, where would your destiny be? The choice is yours. This morning, if you'd like to respond to the invitation, you can come up here and have a seat on the front row. You can be baptized into Christ, or you can rededicate your life to Christ. You have that opportunity while we stand.